Hello and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with past winners and current winners and a few surprise guests. Today's guests are the Writers and Illustrators of the Future judges, Kevin J. Anderson and Rebecca Mesta. Welcome. Thanks, John. Thank you. So I guess before we get into how you became judges, I'm interested in how you both got started as writers and how the Writers of the Future fits in. <laughs> well, I got started as writer when I was like five years old, drawing pictures and telling stories because I couldn't write yet. Um, it's kind of in my DNA that I wanted to be a writer. I just got hooked as a kid wanting to tell stories. And I, I typed out my first novel when I was eight years old. It was like three pages long on my dad's typewriter. And I just have kept writing ever since with the with the goal in my entire life of wanting to be a writer. And I, I guess I've, I've met that goal. But um, I had published a bunch of short stories, uh, was getting a little bit of, I think I had maybe one professional sale to the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. And I kept sending stories around. And I remember when the contest was first announced, which was 35 years ago, as this was just perfect timing for me because I, I had stuff that was getting pretty good. I hadn't published a novel yet. I didn't have the, the requisite number of professional publications to disqualify me. And the Writers of the Future contest was just the perfect thing. I mean, there was big prize money, but, but forget the prize money. You got this week-long workshop with taught by Algis Budras and Tim Powers and Orson Scott Card and and just Gregory Benford and these amazing Larry luminaries, Niven. Larry Niven. I mean, they, these are people that I was looking up to, and I really wanted to go to that that workshop. Mm-hmm. And so I submitted to the contest probably, I think, 23 times. And I got some finalists and honorable mentions, uh, never actually won it, and then I published my first novel. So I wasn't um, wasn't able to come as a winner, but because I was so connected with the contest all along that I came back as a guest instructor, and now I've been a judge for, I forget, 27 years or something, something like, like that. that. Uh, and this is, this is one of our uh, annual, we've, we've missed coming here one year in whatever, 27 years, yeah, and, yeah. and this is kind of a high point of our year. That's great. Your story is not dissimilar to Rob Sawyer, who also entered and entered, and he disqualified when he finally sold his first novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rebecca had a bit more checkered career as starting out. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. Um, I, when I was a child, I was a voracious reader. And then um, as a teenager, I would read books that I thought were good to absolutely anybody who would sit still long enough to listen. So my little brother, my grandmother, everybody. And then I started telling stories out loud to friends. And if I would babysit, I would tell the stories to the kids. Um, and then when I, uh, I kind of gave up writing for many years because I had a really bad college professor um, who mm-hmm. criticized everybody's writings and uh, he was on the literary end of things. And so not at all the type of thing I was writing. Um, And then after I met Kevin, I realized that a whole bunch of stories that I had started writing um, needed to be finished. And so I started finishing stories and then um, 
I was introduced to writers of the future, and I decided, cool, I'm not published yet, so I'll start entering writers of the future. And I answered, entered once, and I did not win. Um, but in that next year, I had my first uh, novel published. So um, I came with Kevin many years uh, to talk about business, because I have a master's degree in business. So I talked to writers about business, and then eventually, after I had about 30 books published, I was asked to be a judge also. And uh, so I've been around the contest for many decades. <laughs> well, and, and also, as instructors, we meet the group of 12 or dozen or whatever mm -hmm. students that, that are here. And they become our, our Padawans. I mean, it's not just we give a yeah. two-hour talk and then we don't see them again. We we get to know them, and some of them have become, like, really good friends. and, and They keep in touch. And, well, and, and colleagues, because so many people from the contest go on to become professional writers themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've collaborated up with uh, a lot of them that I've met as students who are now well-established authors. And you just stay in touch, and I think from my own perspective, as as a writer, what I've really adopted is the philosophy of paying it forward, and I spent a lot of time helping other writers not to make the mistakes that we made, because right. it, I mean, so many times, if we like crashed and burned and did, did something that backfired on us terribly, we just thought, you know, if somebody had just told me not to do that, then I would have known not to do that, Right. and we try to do our best to to pay it forward and to help them out so that they can make entirely new mistakes on their own. Well, this is something that isn't taught in school. I mean, a lot, so many of the writers say, they don't teach us this, you know, the business of writing. How, yes. do, you, how do you actually make a career as a writer or an artist for well, the other contest? I, professionalism I, in general. Yeah. yeah. I remember when my first novel was published by Signet Books in 1988, that the novel came out and I, I called the editor and I said, so are you going to send me like this sheet or a checklist of here's what to do and what not to do? And they said, well, we don't have anything like that. And I thought it was very strange that as you know, they're they're a business, so they're trying to sell these books, and you would think that they'd have some kind of a, um, and, and I'm their greatest resource. I'm the author, so I can help sell the books. But nobody gave any sort of coaching or 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 don't do this or do mm -hmm. this or it, they just sort of knocked us out of the nest and let us go. And of course, so many authors screw it up terribly, and I I wish that there was more of a a um, a network of helping you out and how to. Um, interact with other writers, interact with your fans, how to uh, promote your, your work, and, and what's okay and what isn't okay. And so we've kind of been doing that for quite a few years just to help people become yeah, professionals. Yeah, you've got such a strong base of loyal fans. Because I remember you're like probably one of the hardest working authors I've ever known. You know, I remember at the, at the, at the get-go, you know, there's Kevin racing with your boxes of your books to go to your signing, you uh -huh. know. I mean, that's it's a lot of, lot of water under that. And then that. back to my hotel room to edit a chapter or something. <laughs> yeah, you know. So it's um, you know, it's such valuable life lessons that you teach at the workshop. These winners, but so many now have gone on to become judges themselves after thirty-five years. You know. Yes. You know, it's it's great. We have, you know, the new generations of of writers who learned originally from Jack Williamson, Fred Pohl, and they themselves were the you know, the heroes of the day, mm -hmm. now, you know, you are the heroes of today, and then we're making the heroes of tomorrow. So it's, uh, these are important lessons to learn, and it's unfortunate people aren't taught that, 
but they don't know manners. Well, and, and there are so many writing courses, writing workshops, whatever, that will teach you how to set a scene or how to build suspense or how to uh, develop characters. Um, and that's a craft part mm-hmm. of the business. And of course you need to know how to write. Otherwise nobody will want to read your thing. But um, when we, we run our own uh, thing called the superstars writing seminar, that, right. that in fact, it's all but one, our writers of the future judges as well, that, that uh, it's me and Rebecca and Brandon Sanderson, Eric Flint, David Farland, and James Artemis Owen. And we founded this because nobody was teaching the business of writing. And, and we were, contacting each other and finding out more about the business because the more successful we became, um, the less we knew about the waters we were in. And so we would contact other professional writers and say, hey, how do you deal with this? And we helped each other a lot and we thought, Somebody needs to do this for new writers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody teaches the business aspects of it. They're supposed, you're supposed to just know, well, no, you don't know. Well, we've been teaching, we've been teaching the business aspect of it for decades Uh, here at Writers of the Future. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where it started. Well, and also it's a even more valuable now in the age of social media because everybody's on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, to teach authors how to be professional and not to be jerks and not to insult other people. Or to, Of course, that uh, clearly that doesn't always work. But I think the authors who are professional stand out above the trolls and the jerks. And, and if you're an editor sort of watching this and you see one author behaving like a, a gentleman or a, or a real reliable pro... And then you see somebody else who's kind of like an over-caffeinated child having a tantrum. Well, which one are you going to want to work with? You know, you want to sure. you want to make put your best foot forward and and make a good impression on. Well, and as, as a reader, if I'm looking at an author yeah. acting like a complete jerk and another author who seems to be pretty pretty admirable, well, I'm going to gravitate toward the admirable guy. Yeah, if you see somebody also. In science fiction, it's, it's still very much, especially with the advent of the comic cons and mm-hmm. those types yes. of, of, of the mega conventions, when you see an author there who's willing to talk to you and very gracious and will stop and say, sure, I'll sign it for you and just do it, even though you've probably just signed the last 500 books. I know I've seen you do mm-hmm. it. I see um, Brandon Sanderson yes. is just, you know. Lines out the door. Yeah. But totally gracious. But very it's gracious. Very yes. gracious, you know. And so you've set like this. You've helped set that standard in that world. And so if, if you're going to go to a Comic-Con with its 100,000 guests, Dragon Con with 85,000 mm-hmm. guests, you know, then it's the word travels fast that this person's really cool or this person's a jerk. Oh, and we've been around a long time. And I tell you that there are some authors we don't see again. Yeah. And, and the conventions know that. In fact, even like the Comic-Cons, you call them Comic-Cons, but they're pop culture cons, right. really. Right. And there's often a whole lot of um, film and TV celebrities there. And I've gotten to know uh, quite a few of them, like, like you know, big name actors yeah. that you see around. And the ones that have long careers tend to be incredibly professional and courteous and and... Um, warm and welcoming, and then you got some like Flash in the Pan, the guy who's had a one-hit wonder. His show came out, and he's really hot stuff, and he treats everybody like dirt. And guess what? He's not around next year, right? Because life is too short to be dealing with people like that. There's so many talented actors, so many talented writers that you can no longer 
be so abrasive and rude and have people still want to work with you. Yeah, there's, there's no need to. Absolutely. So um, you both have this, you know, we've already established a lot of your record as, as authors, but you've done something a lot of authors haven't done. You've created your own publishing company. How did that evolve? Wow. Um, <laughs> The very, accident. <laughs> the very seed of it was when we had a couple of really small things we wanted to have published that we didn't think were worthy of going to a New York publisher. Um, and, and my father had a book that he wanted to have published that was basically a seminary textbook. Um, and then we had a so couple a of chapbooks. <laughs> a couple of chapbooks about yeah. advice and things like that. Um so it, then in 2010... Right, but that wasn't ambitious. When, that was just a couple of one-offs. During, during the um, e-book revolution um, in 2010, we started taking our backlist of books, anything that was out of print, and bringing it back into print through our publishing company. Oh, wait, but there's even, there's even a different step because for like a year or so before that, Several people have been nagging us. Why don't you do ebooks? Why don't you bring your books right. out in ebooks? And my experience from other publishers was that I would sell twenty ebooks in six months. I mean, even like Dune novels, big ones, they just weren't selling. Nobody was buying ebooks, and I kept doing the, yeah, yeah, that's that's never going to take off. And it was a Writers of the Future winner. Scott Nicholson, somebody that we met at mm -hmm. the contest, who's now a very successful horror author. Scott Nicholson kept nagging me, why don't you release your books as ebooks? Because right. I have all these out-of-print books. And I and finally he he just said, Look, give me the first three or four of them and I'll do it for you. He <laughs> he formatted them for I don't know, fifty bucks. I mean some yeah. something ridiculous because he was kind of trying to drag me by the nose into doing them. And he put up and this was not great format or anything. The covers were pretty pretty bad, and we just put them up there. But it was early on, so like anything you put up sold. Right. And I ended up making as much money within a year or so on those old ebooks that I got paid for these books in the first place, which wasn't that much really. But but suddenly that that showed us, whoa, I've got thirty titles that are out of print. Let's just start putting them all into print as fast as we can. And we did them as ebooks, and then we started um, bringing them back into print too with print on demand. So well, all of our books are in ebook and um, trade paper trade paperback. And then recently, we've been putting out hardcovers for all and of them. audiobooks. So and it's like expanding. Are you recording on audiobooks? Uh, yes. We well, uh, it's a service called ACX. It's oh, sort sure. of a do-it-yourself. And we have, I mean, we don't have a studio recording them. That these are people who are. They kind of like hobbyists where they'll yeah. audition and they'll record it in their own house. And I mean, so this isn't like a massive audiobook production, but it's an audiobook, so it's out sure. there. Um, and then once we started putting out my backlist, which was really all we meant to do, uh, like Brian Herbert, my co-author on the Dune books, who's also a Writers of the Future <laughs> judge, um, he said, well, I've got a bunch of my old out-of-print books, and but he didn't want to learn how to do it. He just wanted the books out. So we did Brian's backlist and then he gave us a bunch of Frank Herbert's backlist. And then uh, Jody Lynn Nye came to us with a bunch of her books and Alan Dean Foster and Mike Resnick and uh, 
Jody's husband, Bill Fawcett, gave us the Robert Lynn Aspirin uh, Fool's Company series. And Alan Drury. And Alan Drury, who wrote Advice and Consent, his estate came to us to publish his books. And it was sort of a a snowball effect that kept going. And and I kept saying, sure, we'll do it all. How hard can it be? And Rebecca, of course, has to do the (laughs) The accounting. The royalties are the hard The the royalties are trying to separate out. If you're just doing your own stuff and all you have to do is cash the check, well, then it's great. But if I have to figure out this percentage goes to Jody Lanai and this percentage goes to Frank Herbert and this percentage goes to Alan Dean Foster, um, that accounting is is wickedly difficult, which is why we let Rebecca handle that. <laughs> Thank you. My consensus. <laughs> Rebecca, it's yours. So how does someone... Like we've got a, obviously a lot of, of Rise of Future winners. They're publishing stuff, and you're the notoriety of, of Wordfire Press amongst the writers of <laughs> We're the notorious. <laughs> How does somebody approach or get involved, or what has to happen to be able to, to make it into Wordfire? Well, I think I, I usually like look for them myself. Okay. Uh, a lot of times I'm trying to reprint. Um, like a an author like Mike Resnick that mm-hmm. that he has a lot of books an that he's an established author in. with a large body of work. Well, see, so here's here's the thing. I don't have an editorial staff, so that if they bring me a draft manuscript, I don't have somebody that will hold their hand and work all the way through with it. So when when we get a book, it's got to be pretty much ready to go. It can't be a, a draft that hasn't been um, worked on. But also, we don't have a large marketing department a lot of this is organic but we rely Mm -hmm. on the authors that they so to me one of the biggest things is can you sell your book i mean we've we've got the production has to be involved sure when we've got production costs which are admittedly fairly small we've got a very streamlined operation but you have to be able to earn us five or six hundred dollars back or it was won't pay for our work to produce your book um, obviously, I want to earn more than that. Sure, but we've got some authors that that oh, good, the book's published now. I don't have to do anything. Well, that's not the kind of author I want. No. I need an author that's got um, you know, social media presence, a newsletter, um, some kind of platform. And everybody's different. I mean, there might be somebody who loves to go to comic cons and hand sells the books. Well, you can make a lot of money hand selling your books. Sure. Um, other people might have. Um, a, a notorious blog with with a hundred thousand readers of the blog. Well, then put a link to your book on there and 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 sell some. Uh, and we'll be open and, and listen to their ideas and they'll they'll pitch it. Mostly, yeah. it's something that that um, I look for myself and and we just see if I think that that they can that they can do something with it. But we're we're not a slush pile. I mean, I, I can't get a hundred submissions because I don't have any, anybody to read it. Right. Um, I just, I'm asking this because I get asked that and I don't know the answer. So I'm. So I know there that have been listening. a couple of times when we read something we thought was really worthwhile and and asked to publish it. Right. Well, and see, that's the the answer is no. And if they can figure out a, <laughs> if they can figure out around the no, then they can make maybe make it. But the sad thing is, and we published some books that are brilliant books, but the authors don't do anything for them, so they don't sell. Right. I mean, a good book that somebody really promotes will sell. A brilliant book that's left to, with crickets chirping, nobody's going to notice it because there's so much noise. Yeah. There's, I mean, I don't know how many 
hundreds of thousands, millions of Kindle books get published every year. I, I honestly, I don't know the number. I have no clue. But it's just an avalanche. And if you're a reader, I don't even know how you can pick Sift, one. Yeah. I, I mean, unless you go to an established author that you know, how if if you're a first author who has written a book about um, dragons and polka music, well, how do you how do you even market that? Well, that one I actually could market. I'm That's pretty kind sure. That's kind of fun. <laughs> Put the right keywords on. Kind of a weird owl thing. Yes. So, um, okay, that, that actually helps because I do get asked that question. Yeah. So that helps me to be able to answer, say, listen to this episode. Um, now, another thing about you, too, is that you've so diversified in what you write. You've got YA, you've got uh, zombies, you've got, <laughs> you know, fantasy, science fiction. You even novelized, you novelized in music or music was done to your novel? Um, both, actually. We've I'm, done I'm gonna, both. Yeah. Uh, with with Neil Peart, the drummer from the rock group Rush, he and I wrote a novel based on the last Rush album, which is a big concept album with a story. So that's kind of unusual. I've written a lot of comics. Uh, we've published half a dozen or so writing books, so nonfiction books on on various aspects of writing. Um, it's sort of an all-of-the-above thing. It's all about um, income streams, because it I sound like an old old codger. It used to be that. I mean, authors used to be able to just write novels and make a living at it, and that's much harder now. So we uh, we talked um, earlier today in the workshop that I'm I'm now running an entire master's program in publishing for Western Colorado University. So I'm you want to get a master's degree in publishing? I'm the professor, and I teach all of that stuff, right. and it's all online. Um, I wouldn't previously have thought of devoting my career or part of it to being a, a college professor. I mean, I like teaching and paying it forward, but dealing with academia is a little bit like dealing with the DMV, I think, sometimes. Um, but that's another income stream. It's another way to um, to earn a living, and it's also a way to get um, benefits in healthcare. Whereas um, as a freelance writer, you don't get any of that. You're right. responsible for everything. Um, the publishing is another way of earning income. Um, I do a lot of public speaking engagements or, or appearances that I get paid for. So that's another thing. Um, actually, writing books, that helps. Um, for the, the new Dune movie that's about, that's starting to film, um, I get a creative consultant fee on that, which is something else. So we, you know, instead of making a lot of money by writing, I make a little bit of money by a lot of different things right now. There's that one in the workshop that's taught us, there's that one article by um, Owen Hubbard called Arts Versus Eats. I wasn't sure how much, I know when we, when we posted it, and I posted it on social a while ago, someone said it really makes a lot of sense of working out, you know, how much you get paid for different type of stories. So I was curious if you diversified so much to, to see which one brings in more income for you if it's the YA or the science fiction or the, the problem is it fluctuates I mean one year it might this one might be the the lion's share of the income and then the next year the comics might be the lion's share of the income and um, but the problem is things dry up so fast in the publishing world that if you're only counting on one thing it's a you might coaster. you might be left high and dry and um, and I'm unemployable <laughs> I mean I've, I've been a freelance writer for so long if I had to you know punch a time clock and do nine to five for at an assembly line or something I, I don't think I could stand it so um, now you did you've you got the young Jedi Knights Rebecca's as uh, on YA and you're like 
even the, even the story that's in the new Riders of Egypt, volume thirty five, um, Yellow Submarine. Yes, it's okay. so cute, but it's definitely YA. So, how did you kind of like? How did that evolve for you? Um, as I said, I told a lot of stories and read a lot when I was a teenager. And one thing I noticed was that there were stories that really had the ability to change my worldview. And I, I was reading young adult fiction, which is the fiction of change. And there's always a, a new uh, experience for the protagonist in a YA novel. There's something new that they're dealing with, some dilemma um, that they need to figure out what to do with. And I thought, that is exactly what I love. I love to see the first time you have to solve some sort of problem. And so I grew up wanting to write young adult fiction because I knew that I could affect lives that way. No, because they're just, they're such, they're fun stories. I mean, I do a lot of, I read a lot of stuff, but I actually enjoy reading YA a lot just because of that. You know, it's, I like good, personally, I like good endings. You know, I like yes, happy. Yes, I do too. You know, again, the stuff out there where it's not the happy, I'm not, that's not my world, you know? So in real life, I see it enough when I'm going to go off and just, and just be entertained. I like the ending to take me, I don't know how it's going to get there. I just knowing, like knowing that I will be taken there. Well, if they're not fun stories, why should somebody read it? And 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 I know that there are some like grim and gritty human experience, depressing stories that are like good for my soul, I guess. But I think too many writers forget that the reason people pick up a book to read is they want to enjoy it. Yeah. And that's what our main job as a writer is to do a story that somebody wants to read, not a story that somebody feels like they have to read. We want um, to give people enjoyment and want to encourage reading. Well, and the uh, remember years ago that there was the Oprah's Book Club that that Oprah would yeah. would bring out um, kind of these these grim and gritty, yeah, um, good for you books that you had to read, and because she had such an audience that those books sold like crazy. But then after a, a while, that they started doing surveys and found out that. Nobody actually read them. They just bought them because Oprah wanted them to be read. Nobody. But well, okay. But but they weren't they weren't like I read a book this to book. Have, not a book to, uh, well, to enjoy. It, I don't think that these were. Nobody read them and and said, "Wow, I love this. I want to read a ton of these books." And I I want I should I generalize. I shouldn't say nobody. Right. Um, but but I want yes, dear. Uh, I want you to read one of my books and think this was great i had i had a good time kevin let's yeah. do this again yeah and and then they come back for the next one and yeah. uh, no that's a different that's an entertainment purpose that's different from trying to make your point or trying to get somebody to think about things i mean that i'm not saying that there's no call for for serious books that have to have a, a an important statement about something because those are those are good too if you've only got a half an hour and you've come home from work and you're dead tired and you're going to go to bed and your body's sore because you got to get up again in the morning to do it and you've got a half an hour and you're going to spend a half an hour with me, I want you to feel better after it than, than like, why did I do that? <laughs> yeah. No, I, one of the things I just, like for me, I want to be entertained and that's why, I mean, it's one thing I, 
I love about all the writers of the future judges, you know, they just write entertaining stories and always have, yeah. you know, and writers of the future definitely has a bit of a mindset because the stories are appropriate from middle school on up. And that's a key thing, how it's edited. And, and it's just, that's what we want. If someone's, you know, has an issue with that, that's fine. But we have, we're very upfront with what we want to be able to publish and what we're trying to, to accomplish. And so we want this stuff to have an up curve at the end, you know, like, yeah, I feel a bit better because of this. And I want to, I've met a new friend. I want to, I'm going to keep on reading more of what they have to offer. That's what kind of fiction I want to read. And that's the kind I want to write. Yeah, and that's why that's the kind of judges we have with the contest. <laughs> so, um, what do you have in the in the works? What's I mean, you've got you're so diversified. <laughs> I have even no clue. To, you know, can I even figure out what I have in the works? Oh boy! Well, I have. I you got an orchestra, I, I, a I've concert. Worked, <laughs> well, uh, my my big new novel called Spine of the Dragon. It's a big epic fantasy. I've been working on it for like two years, and that comes out in June. So I've got like real high hopes for that one. That's a Big Fantasy. Brandon Sanderson, Robert Jordan, yeah. Terry Goodkind, Terry Brooks, those kind of big. And I've been working on that for a really long time. Uh, and I also just finished a vampire serial killer thriller called Steak that audio audible.com is going to release as an audible original. And, wow. it's, and it's, uh, it's just about ready to turn in. My my wife won't let me turn it in until she finishes going over the manuscript the, line, the by line by line by yeah. line. Um, so those two things, and then, uh, as I said, the Dune movie starts has already started filming, and I'm a creative consultant on that. And there's a that lot of so exciting more more Dune stuff is kind of uh, bubbling up and in the works. So that'll keep me um, busy. And uh, in July is when I start my first uh, college professor teaching my my group of master's students for the publishing master's degree program. Um, that's and awesome. a lot of travel. What else are we? And we Rebecca, we, what about we run our superstars writing yeah. seminar every every February. And Rebecca, um, let's see. I've been doing a lot of editing, and uh, Kevin and I just had a book come out about collaborating because we've writing as a team sport. Go on, figure. Yeah, we <laughs> collaborated on so many books, and he's collaborated with a lot of different people, not just me, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a lot of fun, and I'm actually working on uh, some writing books because um, it's one of my life's missions, I believe, to explain that there's not just one level to writing. Um, there, It's got so many levels, characterization and uh, pacing and setting, and there are various strata. There are about 20 things that contribute to good writing, and sometimes I've heard people criticize writers and say, oh, you know, I don't know why that book should have been a bestseller. And I think they're thinking about like one or two things, like the way the sentences are written. Right. And instead of thinking about all 20 layers, and the, the author may have done like 15 or 18 layers properly, and they're criticizing two of the layers because they don't understand well, think, how much goes into good writing. Yeah. Yeah. Think about something like, like say, The Da Vinci Code. There are people criticizing it because it's 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 not beautifully lyrically written. And it, he, he's not. He's a very serviceable, workmanlike workman writer. His prose is, tell just the facts, ma'am, tell it like it is. Um, and they'll criticize him because his writing is so 
I don't know, pedantic or whatever they want to call it. But they're missing the fact that he's got this great story with all kinds of intriguing ideas, and he's got cliffhangers at the end of every chapter, and he's got the one hero that you can follow along, and he's got this really creepy bad guy. And I mean, all these things add up to what the average reader who doesn't care about the lyrical prose just wants a great story that all of these things work. But if you get like a, a, a college literary critic, they're going to look at the the prose and go, well, this is this is very straightforward prose. Well, then you're missing everything else in this book. Good. That was my point. Yes. Good. Yes. No, what Rebecca I, was I trying to yes. say. <laughs> That's great. So, um, this is um, my my last question to address is: You're both judges for writers of the future. So, why should an aspiring writer enter the contest? Ooh, it's such a wonderful opportunity. First of all. It gives you a goal of a deadline to hit um, because it's a quarterly contest. And so if you don't have other ways of challenging yourself to to write regularly, that's one good thing. But if you do win, you have an opportunity to meet a lot of other um, really good writers. You get a workshop taught by um, Us. Really, really famous authors. <laughs> David Farland, Orson Scott Card, Robert J. Sawyer, uh, Gregory Benford, um, Tim Powers, Eric Flint, yeah. Tim Powers. Um, I mean, and these are all people that want to help a young writer's career and want to dive in and just give you advice. And what an awesome opportunity is that! And then the book itself comes out, and it's it always sells really well, and. Um, it's a publication credit. They get paid. I mean, there's and there are future opportunities for publicity, even for their own works. It's uh, hard to describe how many good things can happen from writers of the future. Well, and when you win and you come to the workshop, well, I mean, you suddenly are part of your own cohort of fellow writers. I mean, you, you, you've you suddenly got an, a new adopted family. Mm-hmm. And all of the the 12 people that win this year, that's a group of 12 people that they're all a cohort and they're going to be helping each other out. And the people from last year like to mentor the ones from this year. And there's a much, this, it's a huge writer's network that you suddenly get plugged into. And it's a very supportive safety net and they they help each other out. They'll help critique each other. They'll help um, cross promote with each other's books or stories. And it's just this great community. And we've been part of it for a very long time. Great. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for listening. Stay tuned for our next show. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Owen Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. 